This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, one of America's foremost manufacturers of premium knives. Case Knives have been treasured items that have been passed down to my family for generations. So put down the phone, shut off the TV, and go out and get your hands dirty and build something. Keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. Hey, you are listening to Shaun of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietrich. And man, we've got a great show lined up ahead of you here. A great show coming to you live via the podcast airwaves and the radio waves all over this fine nation. This folks you see behind me here, this band of beautiful looking people who make me look terrible. It's the Monocle Band, everybody. Give it up for the Monocle Band. Lorena looks so peaceful. As I kissed her face goodbye I went down into the Fort Smith evening To meet my friend Eli Eli was an outlaw But it meant no harm to me We had tall tapes to tell ourselves We drank that rye whiskey We blew that safe and we stole that change We lit out in the driving rain I may still find me and I may still hang But not if I have my way The rain is standing by the bedroom door She'll never see my face no more I'm sorry, Lori, forgive me for All the things that I didn't say Still find me and I may still hang But not if I have my way The 
rain is standing by the bedroom door She'll never see my face no more I'm sorry, Laurie, forgive me for all the things that I didn't say We blew that safe and we stole that change We lit out in the driving rain They may still find me and I may still hang But not if I have my way This portion of our program is brought to you by visitnorthalabama.org, the Mountain Lakes Church Association. Visit the 16 North Alabama counties and make this state what it is. The North Alabama Hallelujah Trail, for instance, features 32 churches that are at least 100 years old, standing on their original sites, still holding services, and are accessible to the public. Now, these are the portrait of North Alabama's history and tell the remarkable story of early Alabamans from the early days. You can wind through 16 counties and the churches that you will see were the churches that were selected during an intensive two-year scientific research process, which included testing the walls with specialized equipment to detect whether or not actual shouting had taken place inside. See the white painted timber frame church that is St. John's Episcopal Church in Tuscumbia, built in 1855, or visit Mount Pleasant Methodist Church and see aged white wood and square nail and wood peg construction. Or visit my particular favorite, Pine Torch Church, a tiny little primitive log cabin in Bankhead National Forest, built from the poplar trees in 1850. Pine Torch Church still holds church service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Be there or be square. So visit the trailer churches and sit in a pew or two and remember your fundamentalist pioneers who taught you how to sing good songs, believe in things, and how to feel very guilty for dancing at wedding receptions. <laughs> Whatever you do, you can do it better in North Alabama. So visit northalabama.org or hashtag visitnorthal. Now we're going to have another tune here, another tune here from the Monocle Band, everybody, the Monocle Band. Laura Lee, Laura Lee, we should be together, and I know you feel the same way as me. Laura Lee, Laura Lee, I just can't wait forever. Please give me your answer, Laura Lee. Through the cold glass of the window, the sky is falling blue. This empty glass of wine will never do. I'm a fool and I'm a failure to fall in so true. The truth is, I'm calling out to you. Laura Lee, Laura Lee, we should be.
This evening, sending to us from listeners all over this fine nation who have nothing better to do than to put a pen to paper or send us an email asking us to cease and desist with legal action and representation or to just tell us a little bit about their life, though, though they must really have to be bored to send us their stuff. Even so, we thank them for it. Thank them for it. Charlie Hyatt, Tyler, Texas, writes our first letter. Sean, a few months ago, I was walking my dog down a sidewalk when he saw a female dog and he bolted out as fast as he could. And I lost the leash. And he finally got to the female dog and I was, I was chasing after him. And it turns out that the female dog was in heat. Long story short, you know what happened next. She ended up having puppies. And they were the prettiest dogs my wife and I have ever seen, so we got two of them for free. Our house is now overrun with dogs. We have two tan puppies who don't know how to turn off their poopy and TT. <laughs> and so I just wanted to tell anyone out there who is thinking of getting a puppy, please know what you're getting into first because it is a lot of work and a lot of cleanup. Thanks for the show. Keep it up. Charlie. Dear Charlie, dear Charlie, I hope you keep a better hold of your dog on the leash from now on. Mason Willard, Van Buren, Arkansas. I took up this past year going to a community college class on the weekends for fun. My wife wanted to start going with me on a whim, so we started going writing stuff together about our own lives in this English class. And I think it's safe to say that my wife is a better writer than I am and I'm pretty dang upset about it. She never even wanted to become a writer and has never even tried it before except what she did in school as a girl. But she likes it and she's incredible at it and I just think I hate her for it. No, no, I'm only kidding. I love her because she is an artistic person who can do just about anything she puts her mind to better than anyone I have ever met. She's working on a book about her mother right now. This English class has set her mind on fire. It's gonna be a good one. While I'm still trying to figure out how to use the English language, my wife, who is everything to me, whose name is Lauren, shout out to Lauren Willard. My wife is kicking butt taking names. I love you, honey, and keep writing even though your husband sucks at it and is jealous of you. Delaney, Grover Beach, California. Dear Sean, I found your show from an article in Southern Living, and it was cool to listen to it because you couldn't be further away from me. I know you're a long way, but your podcast takes me to a home that I never really knew. Still, my relatives are scattered throughout Montgomery all the way to Milton, Florida. But I have never met them. Your podcast kind of makes me want to finally do that. But I have a question for you, though. 
and that is why I'm writing you. My question for you is where can I buy bold peanuts that I have read you write about and talk about on your show? I want the good kind, and my cousin says that you have to know where to get them or it's not worth it. Signed, Delaney. Well, dear Delaney, dear Delaney, my advice and a penny will not even buy you a cup of coffee, but I do have a short little tidbit for you regarding bold peanuts. My tidbit is never trust a bold peanut from a gas station, a tin can, or someone who has never heard of Dothan, Alabama. Say that for the benefit of everybody here tonight because anybody in this room, Delaney, knows that peanuts from Dothan, Alabama have a certain wine to them that tastes so much better than your typical nut. You can tell the difference between a Dothan peanut and a Georgia peanut and a planter's amalgamation. So make sure you stop for, at, at, the, at the huts that are made of tents from old men who sit on the side of the road who have handwritten signs all around them and they got a big old brew pot that's just steaming and you'll be just fine. Another tidbit of advice, buy twice what you think you'll need because when you go to eating these peanuts, you will not be able to stop. And when they're gone, they gone. So thanks for the letter, Delaney. Good luck with your peanut pursuits. Leslie Black, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Sean, I listened to your show on the way from Orange Beach, Alabama, all the way home to Chattanooga. And I just wanted to say thanks. Gave me something to listen to for the long drive home. Thank you very much. Dear Leslie, dear Leslie, anytime. Anytime. Ryan from Murray, Kentucky. I get so tired of politics and stuff on TV, and sometimes I feel like every show has a hidden message in it. Like, why can't we just watch TV without feeling like we're being hit over the head with an advertisement or an advertisement for a political party or something else, you know? Everything you watch on TV or listen to on the radio seems to be trying to sell you something. I can't even watch TV or listen to the radio no more because of this. Thanks. That's my comment. Appreciate the good stories. Your buddy, Ryan. Well, dear Ryan, dear Ryan, thanks for the letter. And before you go, I'd just like to take this opportunistic moment to ask you if you are satisfied with your current life insurance provider. <laughs> or if you feel like something's missing in your life in the area of life insurance. Did you know that life insurance premiums are at an all-time low this year? And if you act now with qualified guidance, you could be up and rolling on a payment plan that suits your preference or works right for you and fits your unique lifestyle. So call today to talk to a life insurance representative in your area and make wondering about life insurance a thing of the past. Your buddy, Sean Dietrich. Cecil Williams, Fredericksburg, Te uh, sorry, Fredericksburg, Texas. When I was coming home last night from my son's baseball game, we had a truck full of boys who smelled very bad. And we saw a truck that had a blowout on the road. And my wife said we needed to do something about this since we had all these boys in the truck watching me. And we want them to know, to grow up to know that it's important to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. So the truth is, I did not feel like it. I did not feel like it at all because I'd just been getting over food poisoning. And I shouldn't have been at the game at all that night, but my son counseled me to be there, and it means so much to him. So we pulled over, and me and the three boys changed the guy's tire. He was a young man who didn't seem to know how to change a tire, and when we were done, he was truly grateful, truly grateful. And the boys on my son's baseball team needed to see that. And when we all got back in the car, the boys said, hey, that was easy and that was fun. And Sean, that's when I got this special feeling in my stomach. It was food poisoning, <laughs> which was getting the best of me, Sean. I felt it right in my gut. And to make a long story short, I almost had an accident in the truck. 
Luckily for, the bush, luckily for me, there were bushes nearby. And I just thought, that sounded like one of your stories. Well, dear Cecil, I don't know what you did behind them bushes, but I hope them plants survive the trauma. <laughs> Thanks for doing the right thing. Carolyn DeLong, Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Dear Sean, I'm drinking coffee with my daughter right now, who's about to get married to a good, solid man. They're both 39 years old, and my future son-in-law has two children, and my daughter has one. And I'm so proud of them for not letting life get them down. You have an idea, I think, Sean, about how, how life can be hard sometimes. So does my daughter, and so does my son-in-law, and so do I. But life doesn't have to get you down and keep you there. And I'm learning that even at my age and will keep learning that until I die. How to be strong and how to keep standing back up when life hits you over the head. And in the end, Sean, I think that's really what it's all about. Standing back up instead of staying on the ground and feeling sorry for yourself. Well, this afternoon, this afternoon, when my daughter takes the aisle to get married and walk toward her new husband and his kids will be waiting beside him. It'll be me who gives her away because my husband has been dead for four years and I just can't envision letting anybody else give him, her away but him. But since he ain't here, it has to be someone who knew him and that makes it me. I wish he could see Petra that's my daughter's name, Petra. And how strong she is and how incredible her new family is going to turn out to be. I wish we could all spend time together like the other families do. But that's not the way our dysfunctional world worked out. Even so, we're standing back up and we're strong. Even though life has tried to knock us over like a bunch of bowling pins. We're standing up and I'm proud of us. And I'm proud of my daughter, Petra. And I want her to have a happy wedding day. And even though she'll probably never hear this, because the truth is, Sean, don't take offense to this. The only podcasts my daughter listens to are those about heinous murders and blood-curdling serial killers. <laughs> happy wedding, Petra. Happy wedding. Well, dear Carolyn, dear Carolyn, from everybody here tonight, May your voice be strong during the wedding when the preacher asks you who gives this woman away. And may your eyes be filled with water, the water of love. I hope that your reception is filled with fun and food and music and family. And I hope that you dance with your kids and with your grandkids. And I hope that you are filled and so filled inside when the day is done that you share some of what you are filled with with that old husband of yours upstairs in heaven who's looking down on you who even though he wasn't in attendance and body is there in spirit and when your head hits the pillow dear Carolyn I wish you beautiful dreams of him I really do and most importantly Carolyn I hope that you do not dream of heinous murders or blood-curdling serial killers chopping their victim up into little pieces and burying them in the woods and whatnot. And nice letters from our listeners, letters from our listeners. Now we're gonna have another tune here, another tune here from the Monocle Band, everybody, the Monocle Band.
has been hot outside lately, hot outside. We had temperatures get up, 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 up as high as 172 degrees. <laughs> you see, I can't tell you the exact temperature because I am a storyteller. A storyteller is obliged to give you things, facts, presented in a very palatable way that will make them go down a little bit easier, a little bit easier. I'm not real sure how I got into storytelling. I'm not real sure. My mother used to say that I, I had a habit of stretching the truth. And my father said that he, he, he liked this. He said, because it comes in real handy when you sit around a campfire and you've got people who are all paying you attention. My father was a jokester, an entertainer. He could do all sorts of things that would make you just, just be glued to whatever he was interested in. I'll never forget when we were kids, sitting around a campfire and my father he was he was telling a story telling a ghost story oh man it was such a scary little story that when we finally went to bed that night my buddy randy who was assigned to my tent he was laying there in the middle of the night he said i'm too scared i'm too scared to get up and go to the bathroom and i really got to go and i said well you better get up and get out there because i'm sleeping right here next to you he said, no, I can't. I just can't do it. You got to go with me. I said, and do what? <laughs> he said, I, I'm just too scared. And so Randy got up out that sleeping bag and he went right to the, the flap. And he, he managed to do his business without ever exiting the safety of the tent. My cousin, Eddie Lee, used to tell some hard stories, too. He used to tell some big old whoppers, big old whopper stories that would just blow your mind. They were stories that nobody was really sure whether or not they were true or not. And we were pretty, pretty certain they were lies. My mother, now she decided she was going to help cure him of his lie. And so she went to the preacher, the preacher, Brother Gary, and she asked Brother Gary, to help Cousin Ed Lee deal with his lying. Cousin Ed Lee came over to our house one night. Brother Gary came over to knock on the door, knocked on the door, and you could see his furry eyebrows come over his eyes and his little short stature. Brother Gary was born a 75-year-old man. <laughs> he come walking into our dining room, sat down. Cousin Ed Lee sat down. I sat down. My mom sat down. And everybody gave us these real heavy looks. You knew this wasn't just, you know, a social visit. This was a tribal council. And Brother Gary looked at my cousin Ed Lee and said, Gary, uh, Cousin Ed Lee, do you know that lying is a sin? Cousin Ed Lee just looked at him and he said, well, yes, sir, I do. He said, do you know that when you tell a lie, that the good Lord looks down and he weeps, son, he weeps. Oh, yes, he does. And I looked at Brother Gary and I looked at my mother and I just nodded my head and looked at Cousin Ed Lee with a, a look of moral disapproval, <laughs> which I have been practicing since the day of my birth because I was born a Southern Baptist and this is how you get into our club. It's a look that looks like this. <laughs> oh yes, Brother Gary looked at Cousin Ed Lee said, yes, lying son grieves the Lord grieves the Lord. And Brother Gary decided he was going to teach Ed Lee a lesson. And so he said, Ed Lee, do you know that I was in church a few days ago? I was in church a few days ago at a very important prayer meeting. And boy, we were sitting there and we was, we was supplicating at the foot of the Lord. And while we were supplicating, son, up through the, uh, the center aisle came this huge, great, big black panther Florida Panther about the size of a Shetland pony come walking down the aisle. And while he was walking down the aisle, he looked at men and women in the congregation and he went because Ned Lee just nodded and had big old eyes watching a real storyteller at work. He said, do you know, Ed Lee, that when that black Florida Panther come walking down that aisle, he stopped right at the foot of the altar. And behind him, behind him came a little tiny French poodle. 
And that French pool came trotting down the aisle. And he looked at that Florida panther. And he got up onto his rear legs. His rear legs. And he whooped that Florida panther. And then he proceeded to eat the Florida panther bite by bite. And then he looked at Cousin Ed Lee. He said, now, what do you think about that story? Do you believe that story? Cousin Ed Lee looked at my mama, looked at me, looked at Brother Gary and said, why, yes, I do. Because that was my dog. <laughs> and so storytelling became something that was a big piece of my of my early life. It's not a career I thought I'd go into. It's not a career that seems to impress a whole lot of people when you stand around the table with, uh, say, lawyers and accountants. They look at you, they say, what do you do for a living? And if you don't have a joke prepared, they will cut you up and feed you to a Florida Panther. You've got to, you've got to have one good one in your pocket. When I very first started storytelling, I was invited to go speak to a big group of men. Uh, these are the Baptist Methodist Men's Association, or short, we call them the BMs for Jesus. <laughs> I will go to hell for that. BMs for Jesus all met in this huge place. I'd never seen this many people before in my life, and I had been requested to tell a story that I had been telling since I was 17 years old. And I told it for a men's Bible study group to the Bible study, to the Bible study uh, in, just outside of Montgomery, Alabama, for a whole bunch of men. I told a story about when I was younger, when I just got my driver's license. Just got my driver's license, and I was invited by our Baptist men's Bible study group to take them on their annual trip up to Oak Mountain State Park, just outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Now, I was a young boy, and I looked for any chance I could to get behind the wheel of a vehicle and drive. And our church had this slick, fancy new, new van, and this van was just a, was a, was a, a vehicle for me to test out my chops. I'd been practicing driving, and I knew that I could do it. And it was Brother Lauren who came and asked me if I would, would drive this church van up to the Oak Mountain State Park. Brother Lauren was about 75 years old or so. Upright man, served as the church treasurer. He's a good man with a, with a strong, with a strong upright streak. He could never do wrong. They say he was born with that look of moral disapproval like this one here. He said, Sean, would you mind driving us? I said, no, sir, I wouldn't mind at all. It'd be a real pleasure. And after him, after he asked me that, Brother Danny came along. He said, Sean, I'm just so glad to have you this, this year for our trip up to Oak Mountain State Park. Brother Danny was the arch nemesis of Brother Long. Brother Danny was a deacon, and he wore a Hawaiian shirt all the time and a pair of shorts, and he wore a big old tall pair of socks that came right up underneath his knee, made him look like your great Uncle Phil. He's a fun man, a happy man, always jolly, always jolly. He said, Sean, I, I'm just so, I'm so glad to have you with us. We have a good time at men's Bible study group. A good time. A good time to a bunch of men's Bible study Baptists does not make a whole lot of sense to me. It's almost a misnomer. You see, Baptists are the kind who were born who were born in such a way that they, they develop a unique posture and a unique gait to themselves when they walk. In fact, you could have seen me today when I came across this stage and you would have known that I was raised a Southern Baptist because I walk in a very special way like all Southern Baptists. I walk like I'm trying to carry a corn cob without using my hands. And that's how Brother Lorne was, but not Brother Danny. Brother Danny was exciting and fun. He always had jokes that he'd tell the boys. Oh, he had good jokes. Many jokes I can't repeat here. <laughs> so I showed up to the, to the, to the Night Baptist Church of Black Creek, Florida, 
the Ninth Baptist Church. It used to be many years ago, uh, rumor had it, the first Baptist Church in Black Creek, but Baptists ain't happy unless they're having a split every five years. <laughs> I showed up early and they gave me the keys and many of these men were not the world's best and most reactive drivers and so they were glad to have someone drive who who had razor sharp reflexes and so I, I took the keys from Mr. Lauren I sat behind the seat of the van I cranked up the AC Mr. Lauren sat beside me and he back seat drove the entire way to Oak Mountain State Park and we got up there and it was beautiful oh it's beautiful beautiful state park that is just laced with all of God's beauty and Brother Lauren who was a little bit stiff Brother Corncob <laughs> said alright men we're on a schedule let's get all you know the luggage out of the car out of the van and we got it out there and we set up the tents and we had a man who was in charge of food and Brother Danny came came to the very back of the van he said shh come here come here come here, come here, come here. help me unload this cooler I said, what is this? He said, I just, oh, don't you worry. He said, help me unload the cooler. And he unloaded the cooler, me and him, and we set it down with all the other coolers where the barbecue was and everything. Brother Danny opened it up and he handed me a Coca-Cola, a Coca-Cola. And I looked at it and I, I said, what, what's, uh, why, why, why the secrecy? He said, well, go ahead and open that and take a sip. I opened it up. And I took a sip, and I spit it out. I said, this Coca-Cola's gone bad. He said, no, 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 no. There's special Coca-Colas. I said, really? He said, what's in it? He said, don't you worry about it, but every one of them has a little shot of something special. And I got a cap machine back at the house, and I re-put all the caps on them. I said, really? I said, ain't Brother Long going to get mad? He said, what he don't know won't hurt him. And so that night, over the campfire, Brother Lauren liked to have his, his annual camping trip Bible study. They would read out of the book of Deuteronomy. If you've ever wanted to know what hell was like, listen to Brother Lauren read out of the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> He'll tell you all about the begats and the laws and all the things you should and shouldn't do. Thou shalt not get, get a tattoo on your hind parts because it could lead to dancing. Yes, Brother Lauren was a stiff man. He was reading through the book of Deuteronomy. And all the men in the Bible's Baptist Bible study, these white-haired men of the Lord, because this was not their first rodeo, they all just looked at Brother Lauren and smiled. And I looked at Danny, and I said, they're all having a good time. And Danny said, that's because ain't nobody got their hearing aids turned up. <laughs> and that was about the time that Brother Danny reached into that cooler, and he got all these little Coca-Cola bottles and started passing them around. All the white-haired men of the Lord looked around, these Baptist men, and they took one sip of their Coca-Cola, and then they sniffed the bottle, and they go, uh, soon after a little while, all that Coca-Cola was completely gone. <laughs> completely gone. And Brother Lauren was just still reading, hadn't taken a, a break long enough, and, and, and he wasn't drinking nothing. He was getting parched, and he was just reading. And all the men, the white-haired men of the Lord, looked around at each other with these glows on their faces. <laughs> and they agreed this was the best men's Bible study camping trip <laughs> they had ever been to. And that night, that night, the men of God all went into their respective tents with their respective buddies and they, they fell asleep. They fell asleep. We had two more days out there. It was, it was a good camping trip. A good time was high by all, I have to say. And Brother Danny was largely responsible for this. He took charge of all the food that we had in the mornings. He fries eggs right, Brother Danny. He fries eggs in an iron skillet with about five inches of bacon grease from a Maxwell House coffee can. And all he does is drop that egg into that hot boiling grease and then he gets a little spoon and he just spoons some of that boiling grease onto the white of the egg so that it starts to bubble up and the only time he flips it is when he is putting it on a plate for you swimming in its own grease and that is how you serve a fried egg in the south. <laughs>
after breakfast, we all packed up, packed up the van. Got on going. We were going to have a long drive back home after our Oak Mountain State Park camping trip. And I was driving. I was driving. Brother Lawrence sitting in the seat beside me. And I'm watching the billboards go by. And I'm looking. I know we're getting close to home whenever I see this huge shopping complex. Brother Lauren was looking out at the same shopping complex sign and I could see him start to shake a little bit. He said, Sean, I got to eat something. I've got some low blood sugar. I think it's time that everybody pulls over for lunch. And he pointed off in the distance to that sign. And I saw the sign, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. It was a sign, a sign with an owl on it. with two very, very big eyes. <laughs> Country man, Mr. Lauren, who ain't never left, ain't never left Mossy Head, Florida very often. He, ain't, he hadn't been gone. He doesn't know a whole lot about the world. I mean, he just said, I want to go right there. I said, are you sure about that? He said, yes, sir, I'm hungry. Let's go. I looked in the back, Brother Danny was sleeping. All the old men of God were sleeping, and, and old men sleep in a very uh, animated, loud way. We pulled over at this restaurant, this restaurant. I looked at it, and there was a big orange owl on the sign with unnaturally large eyes, and Brother Lauren woke everybody up. So we all hopped out, and all the men in the parking lot hailed hands because we had agreed long ago, they say, that the, the men's Bible study group had agreed long ago to always pray before they entered in to a place to eat because, because things took so long when you got 24 men seated around a table to say a long, long drawn out prayer and sometimes some of the men can't hear you because they're sitting on the other side and there's TVs and music going. So they decided to pray beforehand in the parking lot. And Brother Danny said, I'd like to lead the prayer. Brother Lawrence said, fine, that's fine. You lead the prayer. Brother Danny held everybody's hands right there in the parking lot underneath this large orange owl with the large eyeballs. <laughs> and he said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, we thank thee for the treasures which await us. <laughs> we thank thee, oh, Lord. Help us to have a good old lunch and help the men of, of, of God, your stewards, to be extra blessed today. <laughs> and they all let go of each other's hands, and the men of God who were still rubbing sleep out their eyes weren't really aware of what was going on. Brother Lawrence led the charge, and several men got up to that, that, that opening door. Brother Lawrence opened up the door for everybody. We walked into that lobby. Brother Danny elbowed me and said, I don't know how you managed it, boy but you are my new hero. <laughs> Brother Lauren, Brother Lauren went up to that hostess desk and he got there and he rubbed, he rubbed his eyes a little bit and looked at that young woman and he started to stutter. She said, how many in your party, sir? And Brother Lauren said, and also with you, She came from around that hostess stand. She counted heads, and the white-haired men of God were looking at her. She said, follow me, please, sir, 24 people. Follow me, carried the menu. And she led us into the main dining room, and that was when 24 men of the Lord realized this woman was wearing even less on the lower half of her body than she was wearing up top. And the men fell into a single file line and they all looked back at each other with looks of shock and disgust that turned into big, big smiles. And Brother Danny looked at me, he said, son, you're going down in history for this. And we all sat around this long table, long table and the men of the Lord looked into their menus and were very, very careful not to raise their heads from the menus at all. And the woman, when she was taking everybody's orders, she came around to Brother Danny and me who were sitting together. Brother Danny had unbuttoned the top button of his Hawaiian shirt 
and was revealing his golden chains. And he said in a whispered voice to that girl, he said, darling, darling, come here, come here. I want you to see that man way over there on the other side of the table. Do you see him? He said, that's the one, darling, that's the one. I want you to, I want you to look at him very carefully. You see him. Today is his birthday. <laughs> he is turning 85 years old today, darling, and we're here for him. Make his birthday a memorable one, would you? Oh my God. <laughs> and Brother Danny looked back toward the kitchen and he elbowed me. He said, look right up, look, 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 look at there. And I saw it. I counted 13 young women who were barely wearing enough to say grace over, <laughs> trotting into the dining room, clapping their hands. And they came right up to Brother Lorne, and Brother Lorne started tugging at his collar. He started tugging at his collar. And the girls started singing, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Brother Lauren just looked at him and his mouth started to gape open and his eyes got very big. And Brother Danny said, oh no, I think he's having a panic attack. And when the girls stopped singing, one of the girls came down and sat right in Brother Lauren's lap. <laughs> and that's when Brother Danny came raring up and he reached into his pocket and he got out a cell phone and he pointed it at Brother Lorne, and he, he hit a button, and a flashball blew off. And Brother Danny said, congratulations, Brother Lorne. I want you to look good for the church newsletter. <laughs> hey, thank you very much for having me. It's been a wonderful Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich. And man, it's been a bona fide pleasure, if I do say so myself. This episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy. He once said the best way to cure idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. And by Folklore Brewing Company, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Look them up today at Folklore Brewing and Meadery. Com. That music you heard behind me today was the Monocle Band, the angelic voice of a Colorado choir girl turned earthy roots songstress. The greatest stories of an intellectual outlaw who has found home in folk music. These guys aren't just good, these are world-class good, and you owe it to yourself to look them up at monocleband.com and download their music today. You won't be sorry. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouthshow.com, and there you can find archived episodes dating back to our very first episode to this episode, which is just heard. And while you're there, I hope you take the time to drop me a line, tell me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, and potluck socials, and I'll do my best to read them over the air for my friends, because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. And friends, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Adios.